Episode 58 West wind blow, whistling through the house. 30 below with wind. Greetings, and welcome in to the Patuxet General. There's a deep chill in our little village this week, negative 10 to start the weekend. So I thought that we'd stay close to home with an old roasted venison recipe. Warm you up with a bourbon cider sipper, along with a potato stew, only to make you shiver once more listening to an episode of The House on the Corner, The Foster House Trip. But first, I really must thank our Patreon subscribers. These winter warriors are the hot drinks, toasty warm boots, hand-knitted hat, scarf, and mittens by grandma, silk mudandis, plaid flannel lined shirt and pants, and insulated socks that make up the winter comfort that is the Patuxet General, without whom we would be cold, man. (laughs) So thank you. If you would like to be one of these heartwarming folk, simply look up our page on patreon.com or follow the link in the show notes. But until Until then, let's hear a poem from Gatsby.org. You can find this poem in the Gatsby Virtual Archives by Jim Boren. Its title, Failures Make History Too. Oh, the captain of the Gatsby was a valiant man of the world, and he sailed full-rigged with courage, with the British flag unfurled. Now he knew the seas and currents, and he thought he knew the shoals, but his chase of colonial smugglers brought an end to his ship's patrols. As his full-rigged British cutter hit Rhode Island's sandy shore, the colonists swarmed aboard her, and the captain screamed and swore, but the Gatsby then was captured, and the torch put to her mast. No more smugglers would she capture, as in days of her glorious past. Oh, the captain of the Gatsby was a failure, now disgraced. But a place was his in history, even though to his distaste. For t'was Sam Adams of Boston, who took up his mighty pen and sent word to all committees of the Gatsby's fiery end. But the captain of the Gatsby had known history without fame, and was known throughout all the seaboard as old Captain What's-His-Name. As we read of deeds of long ago, and of history's rendezvous, let us recall with fairness that failures make history too. This recipe is roast venison. It is also from gatsby.org. For this recipe, you will need six to eight pounds roast of venison, six strips bacon, one large onion, two cups tomato soup, flour, salt, and pepper. Wipe the venison with vinegar-soaked cloth. Never use water as this tends to toughen the meat fibers. Vinegar picks up hairs and clotted blood more readily. Dredge with flour that has been salted and peppered. Lard by laying strips of bacon across fastened with toothpicks. Throw rings of onion over each toothpick, three to a strip of bacon. Start in a brisk oven about 500 degrees for 15 minutes. Then reduce the heat to 300 and roast 20 minutes to the pound. 
45 minutes before serving, pour the tomato soup over the entire roast. Cover it and put it back in the oven. This will make a most delicious sauce or gravy. Time in the oven varies according to the age of the deer. And there you have something new or old to try on this cold, cold day. Enjoy! This potato soup recipe is also from gaspy.org. It only has seven steps, but doesn't have a separate ingredients list. But I do think it'll pair very nicely with the venison. So, first step. Pair and slice one quart of potatoes. Put on two slices of salt pork. Fry nice and brown. Add one onion, chopped fine, and one tablespoon of flour. Stir well to prevent burning. Add one quart boiling water and the potatoes. Boil until soft, then add one cup rich milk and one half dozen large, maybe stale, soda crackers. And for the last step, add one large spoonful of butter. And it doesn't get more comforting than that, so enjoy. This week's drink, the Bourbon Cider Sipper, comes from Glamour Magazine. Their article, 32 Winter Cocktails and Hot Drinks to Warm Up With This Cold Weather Season. They say, all cold weather drinks don't have to be served hot. See, they say, all cold weather drinks don't have to be served hot. See, this recipe from former Cooking Channel host Allie Ward and Georgia Hardstark. For this drink, you will need one cup light brown sugar, one tablespoon whole cloves, one and a half ounce bourbon, one half ounce fresh lemon juice, one half ounce clove simple syrup, and one and a half ounce hard apple cider. You could also use an apple slice studded with a few whole cloves for garnish. For the clove simple syrup, combine the brown sugar, cloves, and one cup of water in a pan and heat until the sugar is dissolved. Allow to cool and sit two to three hours. Strain the cloves before using. Store any remaining syrup in a sealed jar refrigerated for up to one week. Now for the cocktail. Add the bourbon, lemon juice, and clove simple syrup to a shaker. Add ice and shake vigorously. Pour into a highball glass, top with hard cider, and if you're feeling fancy, garnish with an apple slice studded with a few whole cloves. And I always feel fancy. So sit down and have a sip from your bourbon cider sipper and listen to The House on the Corner. I want to tell you about my friend Mike and his electromagnetic pinball museum and restoration arcade. It's an all-inclusive place to relax and share anything related to modern pinball, EM pinball, and arcade games. A group of pinball and arcade fans with an addiction to games of all kinds and Lego too. $10 gets you free play on pinball and arcade games all day. You can find them at 881 Main Street, Pawtucket, Rhode Island, or online at www.electromagneticpinballmuseum.com. My parents bought the house in the corner at a discount due to its haunted renown, and seeing as I had not yet gotten old enough to move upstairs, they thought they had a handle on any spooky goings-on. They often talked and shopped for land in more rural areas so that Dad could have a more substantial garden, one that could feed us all year. 
Seeing as they were not put out by local tales of ghostly visitations, we went to a lot of old farms and houses with questionable reputations. Often on the weekends, Mom would pack a wicker basket with sandwiches or stop at Riccati's for grinders. Tuna was my favorite. Then we would go to the ice house and Mom would buy a foot-square ice block for the Volkswagen camper van's mini fridge, which was actually an ice box. I always brought books to entertain me while the adults did boring things. My sister did as well. We found these trips long and tedious. Well, not this day. At the beginning, we drove out towards Foster, slowing down in front of various for sale signs. My sister and I hated when the car stopped because this meant an eternity of waiting in the van on the side of the road while our parents endlessly discussed houses. We would read books, play cards, eat lunches, and drink grape sodas. Between the stops and the wandering style of driving, hours passed. My sister and I became impatient and finally asked when we would be done. They told us that they had a late afternoon appointment at this large house with a barn. We were going to be met by an agent. It had a few acres of land, and this excited my sister and I, who saw a running free in the woods ahead of us, finally. The main road that brought us to the property was paved, but poorly. The VW van turned left to go down a small hill that was the driveway. It was early fall, and the leaves crunched loudly under the tires. The short driveway was not paved, but dirt, and the main house was out front, with the barn visible off to the side. But off to the left was a small graveyard. We wait for what seems like a very long time to two restless children for the agent. From the beginning, I do not want to get out of the van. When just a minute ago, I couldn't wait to leave. I look at B, and she is pale, clinging to her seat. When the agent gets there, and I cannot remember any description of them at all, our parents shoot us out of the car and followed the hurried tour about the property. B and I clung to each other. It seemed to get increasingly colder as we stood there. We were left outside while they toured the house and were sent to explore the area. The property was completely surrounded by oak and pine trees, and on the left of the house, a historic graveyard, which we could see more clearly as we walked around the house. We were used to doing grave rubbings as it was the late 1970s and we both went to local camps, so we knew how to respectfully walk around old graveyards and normally weren't bothered by doing such. But that day, we were frozen with fear and couldn't go in. About then, the adults exited the house and called us over to tour the barn. B ran to our mom and walked with her. I went much more slowly towards the barn and only reached it several minutes after the others had all entered. Just before I was about to go in, I looked to my left and see a shadow in the shape of a person duck behind the corner of the barn. Suddenly, my legs, that had felt sluggish a moment before, were free, and I ran right for the corner, only five feet from me, so perhaps two and a half strides. I whipped around the corner just in time to see the shadow head peek around the next corner to look at me from about 30 feet away. There was no way a human could move that fast. I ran to the next corner only to see it round the last. It must be real. I kept seeing it. I ran the rest of the way around, now to the front again, only to smack right into my sister. She asked me what my problem was and I couldn't even begin to explain, so I just told her I wanted to go home and she nodded fearfully in agreement. While we were paying attention to ourselves, the agent got into their car and left. B and I got antsy and got into the van while our parents debated something in front of the house. 
The sun started to head down behind the treetops, and my sister and I really got vocal about our feelings to leave. And then I saw them. The shadows on either side of the barn. Then I started to scream. Our parents came right to the car, told us there was nothing to worry about and we could go. Utterly relieved, B and I climb into the back and get ready to go. They climb into the front, but the van won't start. The battery is dead and we're pointed up a hill. A terrible combo. People who own Volkswagens from the 1970s know that you can jumpstart them if you can roll them and pop them into gear. This meant to get out, we would have to push it up the hill. Our mom got in the driver's seat while dad pushed. No go. So they switched. They pushed on either side while I was behind the steering wheel. I could feel the shadows behind us, but we couldn't get up enough speed to start the car. However, we did make it up the hill to the paved road. I turned the wheel towards the way home, and as we started to really roll, Mom jumped into the passenger's side and told me to put my foot on the clutch while she popped it into gear. The van roared to life, and Dad bellowed for me to get out of the way. He jumped in, only to bash his head on the door jam. I spun back around to look at the property, only to see blackness behind the driveway, nothing more. I'm glad to say, we never went back. Thank you once again for joining us at the PG. If you have something to put in about some of our content, a question, recipe edition, or your own ghost story, our email is jessapatuxetgeneral.com, and we would love to hear from you. Nothing makes us grow like feedback. So thank you. But until then, we'll meet you right back here next time at the Patuxet General. A Something for Posterity production pre-recorded in Patuxent.